Hey, good morning, everybody. We are so glad that you are here. Does anybody else love fall, just the season of fall? Is this not the best time of year? Maybe you're partial to another time of year, but I'm just beginning. Fall is quickly becoming one of my favorite seasons for a lot of different uh, reasons. The, the leaves are changing. Uh, my wife and I live here on Kingman Boulevard, and it's just sort of in the, in the fall, it forms this canopy as you drive down, and maybe, you, you know, you drive through different boulevards in Des Moines, it kind of just forms a canopy over the top of you, or uh, for some of you, you love it because football is on pretty much every day of the week. Now, you want to know what our culture worships, right? What is on television every night? Maybe except Tuesday or Wednesday. Yeah, every other night there's, there's, a, there's a football game, it sees. The, the leaves are changing. Baseball is in the postseason, people. Uh, we're excited. There's one baseball fan here today. Um, <laughs> And uh, not to mention, uh, do you know when you, in the fall, when it first starts to get a little chilly like this, and you, and you walk outside first thing in the morning, and there's that cool, crisp air? You know what I'm talking about? Some of you maybe jog or run or try to run if you're like me, uh, and, and you feel that in your lungs, that just, you just breathe it in. It feels like it's kind of clearing out your lungs a little bit, and you just get this fresh breath of cool, crisp air in a physical sense, but I believe that's what God wants to do with us in a spiritual sense. God wants to fill you up. He wants to clean you out of everything that's not of him this morning. He wants to fill you up with him, with that cool, crisp breath of new life. He wants to breathe into you this morning with the power of his Holy Spirit. You up for that? You know, there's two ways of looking at coming here uh, to worship uh, every week. I, 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 when you think about the fall, uh, this is my favorite thing right here. You'd be like, oh, you're the pastor, you get paid to say that. No, this really is my favorite, favorite thing about the fall, is coming here to worship, and really about any season. Th- there's two ways of looking at coming to worship. One of them is, is I, I like, well, it's Sunday, and I go to Hope Des Moines, or I go to Hope, or you're visiting from another campus, and so I'm going to go down there to Ingersoll, we're going to go to worship, we're going to, you know, bring the kids, and whew, we made it, thank God, uh, you know, we made it here, and we sang a couple songs, and I'm going to hear a sermon, and then we'll go home and eat lunch, and then we'll go on with our week and go on with our day. That's one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it is, Sunday's coming. The whole week, Sunday's coming. Sunday's coming. It's almost here. Can you believe it? I get to worship God with, come to both services, 400 of my closest friends. It's gonna be awesome. We get to be together. Sunday's coming. Turn to your neighbor and say, Sunday's here. Tell them right now, Sunday's here. Sunday's here. You see the difference? You see the difference? I pray that that's your heart and that that's your attitude, that every single time you come here, you expect something, that you expect big things, that you expect God to move. I hope that you do, that you're not just here to go through the motions, that you really expect to hear from God, that he can change something in your heart, that he can change something in your life. And, and why should we celebrate that? Why should we get excited about Sunday's coming? Every single Sunday is because he is the one. He's the one we sang about this morning. Jesus, Jesus, you're the one. You are the one that we've been looking for. What's not to love? He's it. We've found him. And that's the same conclusion that Peter comes to that you heard Bob read in our scripture reading for this morning. Jesus' disciples uh, come to this conclusion. Some people have turned away, as you heard, and we'll get to that in a little bit. They say, forget you, Jesus. You know, we're going to try something else. And then Jesus turns to the 12 and he says, are you guys going to leave too? And then Peter responds with one of the most 
beautiful, beautiful verses in all of Scripture. And let's read it together up on the screen, starting with Lord. Let's read it together. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. I pray that that would be our heart as a community this morning. That when we don't just read that as a verse, but we can say, oh, that's true of my life. God, I've tried everything else. I've run down all sorts of paths. I've had a really bad week. I've turned to everybody and everything except you. But what we get to do on Sundays is we get to come here and we get to be with God in a very special way and say, you are the one. You are it. You're the one. Jesus, you are the one. That's a phrase that we don't just talk about in our faith a lot in our relationship with God, but you hear that phrase, you're the one, you're it. We hear that talked a lot about in relationships between men and women, when we, especially when maybe they're dating for a while and they're, you know, you're praying about who that person is. And some of you that have been married for a long time, just go back in time with me a second to when you were looking around for that perfect someone, and now you found them, oh, right? Maybe not. Uh, they're not perfect, right? But they're your spouse. Or maybe some of you are dating right now, or you're thinking about dating, or whatever that is. You're looking for the one. You're looking for the one that you can say, that's it. This is the one I was looking for. You've heard me tell the story before about how Tiffany and I met, my wife Tiffany and I met, and, and when she first met me, and I was um, smelly, uh, my hair was messed up, I just got done mowing and I was playing golf in my front yard and I showed her my toes that are stuck together. It was clearly love at first sight for her. She was blown away by my handsomeness, she was compelled and just captivated by my masculinity, uh, and just she was overwhelmed to where she just couldn't contain it. Or not. Uh, actually, she was creeped out uh, for the most part. However, as time goes on, and for us, as you get to know somebody, sometimes for some of you there is that moment where you can say, that's it, I realized they're the one. Uh, for me, it was more of a series of events. I was just thinking this week, what, what were those moments along the way with her that I realized this is it, like she's the one. The first thing that I can think of is when we were dating way back in college, there was a state park in Forest City where I went to college, and we would go, a couple of my buddies and I would go there and we would be men and grunt and make noises and hit things with sticks and stuff like that. And it was really fun and, and just to get away from class and school, everything. And we would go out there for hours. And one day we were getting ready to go and, and in my dorm room on my counter was three or four sack lunches for me and my buddies for the day to the woods made by her with Bible verses in them that pertain to the woods and being outside and God's creation from her. And I was like, oh, this is a good woman. Skip ahead a, a couple years, and I remember working at Riverside with her, and there was this moment when the sun was kind of going down behind the trees. It was about, you know, 5.30 in the evening, and the sun was going down behind the trees, and it was that golden time of the evening where the light was shining through, and then Tiffany Weir comes walking across the camp, and she had on that outfit, you know, guys, that outfit, and she's walking across, and I'm just, ah, you know, she's like an angel's walking across camp, you know, skip ahead, uh, skip ahead a couple years, a few months before we got engaged, I was taking all these things into consideration, okay, do I want to marry this woman, is she the one, is this it, and my, I was talking with my dad about it, and he asked me, 
John, could you imagine your life without her? Because I was thinking like, oh, weighing pros and cons, all these options. Can, can you imagine your life without her? And I said, absolutely not. I would be a wreck. <laughs> I would be a mess. And beyond that, I am madly in love with her. There's no one else. This is it. Because you know when you know, you know, right? When you know, you know, particularly in relationships. And that's what following Jesus is about. That's what Peter comes to the conclusion in our scripture today. When you know, you know. When you found the one, you know. This is it. They are the one. And that's what Peter discovered. And that's what we celebrate each week. And that should never get old. We found him. We found him. The one worth giving everything to. The one worth giving our lives to. And what would it look like to live with that kind of passion? What would it look like to live with that kind of devotion that Jesus, I don't need to go anywhere else. You're the one and my heart is set on you. What would it look like to live with that kind of passion? That's what we're going to discover today. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 6, if you're not there already. John chapter 6. We're going through this sermon series called The Signs of the Times. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. Now we're at the Gospel of John. So it's going to be after uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. So right after Luke. Signs of the times, all these signs that are pointing to Jesus and who he is. And a few weeks ago, we kicked off this series, and we've been looking at different stories of people and Jesus himself with signs pointing to the fact that he is God. John chapter 6, go all the way back to the beginning of the chapter. We're going to get to the end of it, but we have to know the context of what's going on. You remember this familiar story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. By this time, even before Jesus fed 5,000 people, with not a lot of food. Jesus is pretty on early on in his ministry, but he's beginning to gain some followers. He's starting to gain some popularity. I mean, how many rabbis do you know? I mean, most rabbis in those days would have 10 or 11 or 12 followers. Jesus just fed 5,000 people. So there's crowds of people following him. Crowds of people. Just I, I'm thinking like the, the main drag at the state fair, for those of you that have been there, right? Just crowds of people. Imagine all those people following one person. So Jesus is really growing in popularity, and he's starting to become what, what you might call a celebrity. A celebrity status, and his fame was to get to a whole lot bigger. I mean, you remember the story, Jesus takes five loaves and two fish from a small boy's sack lunch, and all of a sudden there's enough food to feed 5,000 people, and that's just the men, not counting the women and children in those days, and 12 baskets left over. And so in response to that, the people say this. Look at verse 14, verse 14. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, Surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. A.K.A. he's the one. He's the one. We found him. This is the one that we can base our lives on. We, we found him. I mean, you can just hear the buzz and the chatter. Do you see it? You see what happened? This guy's amazing. <sighs> it would be safe to say that after this miracle in front of thousands of people, Jesus had this growing fan base of people that didn't really understand who he was, but they loved what he was doing, and they wanted to be a part of the excitement. This fan base, this buzz, and this happens all the time today, and those of you who know it, particularly in sports, and I kid you not, this is, this is what I love 
about being in one place for some time is I remember back about a sermon that I gave about a year ago, and I was talking about this sort of thing, about, about growing a, a fan base in sports. And just a shot in the dart example, example, I said, just imagine with me if one day the Cubs were good. I just, I just threw it out there, right? I just threw it out. I just said, imagine. This is a long shot. I mean, this will never happen, right? Imagine if the Cubs were good. And I just threw it out there. Someday, if the, if the, could, if the Cubs were good enough to just make the playoffs, and, and by some chance, they were good enough to win the World Series, right? Who says miracles don't still happen today, right? The Cubs are in the playoffs, people, caring about baseball in October, right? And I honestly use that as an example. And now I can actually use it as a real-life example today. How many people today are cheering for the Chicago Cubs? Again, you're cheering for the Cardinals, people? Really? Ooh, okay, good. I just wanted to make sure. Some of you just don't care about baseball. If you're a Cubs fan, this is heaven on earth for you, folks. A hundred years, over a hundred years, we've been waiting, right? I imagine that's what the Israelites felt, right? We've been waiting. We've been waiting. Cubs fans, you know something about that, right? But now we can use this as an example. How many people all over the country are cheering for the Cubs these days that weren't six months ago? A year ago, right? And that's what happened is we call these people that jump on, we call them what? Bandwagon fans, right? Because it's easy to be a fan when everything's going right. When everything's going well. But sooner or later, you're going to start to get some flack from the real fans. You know, the, the Cubs fans that have been there their whole life. And they're going to say, where have you been the last 100 years, right? You just jump on the bandwagon now because what they really want, they're, they're fine that you're a Cubs fan. But that what they really want to know is, are you really a fan? Is your, is your heart really in this? And so it is with our celebrity of the hour today. Look at verse 15. When Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. How many people do you know that at the peak of their popularity would leave? What, <laughs> what kind of a celebrity does that? right? He slips away. And so we continue to read. They got into boats and went across. This is verse 24. They went across to Capernaum to look for him. So they're following him wherever he goes. The paparazzi, the news teams, all the groupies, they continue to stalk him. In verse 25, they find him on the other side of the lake and ask, Rabbi, when did you get here? Verse 26, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, you want to be with me because I fed you not because you understood the miraculous signs. Busted. Jesus is on to them. He reads right through the bandwagon fans. Jesus says, I know you're just here because I can do all these cool things, because I can do all these miracles. But Jesus says, do you know me? Do you know what I'm really here for? I'm here for you. I'm here for you so that you can get your heart back. So that you can get your life back. Jesus says, do you really want to follow me? Might not be a bad question for us to ask of ourselves this morning too. Jesus says, do you really want to follow me? We know that Jesus isn't too concerned about his popularity because if you're growing in popularity, if you're a celebrity, 
what's the one thing that you probably shouldn't do? What do all the presidential candidates not want to do? Say something silly, right? Mess up. Say something that's going to offend people. Jesus says in verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And the bread which I will offer so the world may live is my flesh. And then he goes on to say, so if you're going to follow me, I would ask that you drink my blood and eat my flesh. Have a nice day. (laughs) Who wants to follow? And it's at moments like these that we go, Jesus, what are you thinking? And he's thinking, I'm not here to be popular. I'm not here so you'll necessarily like me and agree with everything I say. I'm here to change your life. I'm here to give you what you really need, and that's only found in surrendering to me. Can you imagine the crowd? <laughs> They're growing around. Jesus has done all these miracles, signing autographs, you know, signing, kissing babies, you know, hugging people, all that stuff. Oh, yeah, uh, if you're going to follow me from here on out, I need you to drink my blood and eat my flesh. Crickets, right? Crickets, that's probably what it was like. And so many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? And then many deserted him. They just hopped right off the bandwagon. In other words, what happened to good old fun-loving Jesus, you know, that did the magic tricks and made us feel happy all the time? Now all of a sudden he's asking us to surrender. Now all of a sudden he's asking us to be fully dependent on him. What kind of a celebrity says that? Well, Probably a celebrity that doesn't just want fans, he wants followers. Who says, I want you. Jesus says, because I believe I'm worth your entire attention. Not just one day a week. Your life. And Jesus says, I'm not going to be wishy-washy about it. I'm not going to shove it under the rug. I want you this morning, and I want all of you. And I want all of your attention. Parents, you know this, right? What, trying to get your kids' attention, right? Look at me. <laughs> Look at me, right? Jesus is saying, Look at me. I want all of you. I want all of your attention, not just, Oh, Jesus, great. You can do all these things for me. He wants to be in a relationship with you. I want to transform your heart. Maybe one of the hardest things I've realized about being a preacher is that I can talk to you for a long time and I can't convince you of anything. <laughs> you know that? I am incapable of changing your heart. There's only one person that can do that, and that's Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. I can yak at you for hours up here, but I can't convince you of anything. I can get so passionate about it, and I get so enthusiastic, and a lot of you that have been here for a while know, man, if there's one thing John doesn't do, it's bore us. And I actually had somebody come up to me. I was preaching at West Des Moines, or West Des Moines campus one time, and somebody came up to me, a guy came up to me and said, you know, you are really, really enthusiastic up there. And I said, well, thank you. He said, you know what? Normally I fall asleep all the time, but during your sermon, I only fell asleep once. <laughs> and I, I said, well, that's, that's good, I guess. And then I thought about it a little more, and I said, you know what? I told this guy, because I believe it's, I believe it's a shame to bore people with the gospel because it's that good. It's that powerful. It's that life-changing. But I didn't always believe that I was incapable 
of convincing you of anything. In the early days of this church, that was not the case. I was getting a little nostalgic this week, and I was thinking about my first several years at Hope and starting out as a church when we were over at, at Hubble Elementary. I just remember dreading Easter. <laughs> I was dreading Easter, and some of you might think, John, that's a little strange. That's like the best day of the year for churches. Everybody's here, the big crowds. You can get the word out. And I said, yes, that's why. <laughs> That's why I dreaded it, because I put all the pressure on myself, because clearly this is my one shot. I have to have this amazing sermon. i got to nail it so that they'll come back. And we got to do everything that we can, and we tried all sorts of things. I remember telling the band in those days, you can't screw up, because somebody might not get to know Jesus if you play the wrong note. And we got to get the scripture reader up here that had the voice of God. And we got to have 47 greeters and 72 ushers. And uh, let's give out iPads and whatever it takes, you know. Let's just, whatever we got to do to have people come back. And just on and on and on and on. And, and, and whatever we needed to do. And don't hear me wrong, there's nothing wrong with going all out. And we do this at Hope a lot because we think that Jesus is worth our best. And then one year, about three years into the church, I sat back and I said, What's my heart behind this? And when I got quiet and I peeled away all the layers, it was simply behind all that, was I just want people to know him. I want you to know him. It's not a game. Like, this is life, folks. I want you to know him. And so what I, would, I would almost find myself like begging people in sermons, like, please come back, please come back. And maybe if I did a really good sermon, they'd come back for Christmas or something. I don't know, I'm just joking. Please come back. I almost try to find myself convincing people that it was worth it to follow Jesus. And then it hit me. Jesus never begged anybody to follow him. Jesus didn't spend much time convincing people, trying to convince them that he was the one. In fact, if you look throughout scripture, most of the time, it's people begging Jesus if they can follow him. Because he was so worth it. <laughs> get this, people who said, so let me, let me get this straight. Okay, after Jesus comes back from the dead and the church is starting, because we're a church and we kind of compare ourselves to that, and there's people that are saying, okay, let me get this story straight. You are the God of the universe, okay, who created the galaxies and you created me and you saw my sin, which means I deserve death, but instead you sent your son to die in my place and in exchange, give me new life, give me breath in my lungs every single day, the breath that you have in your lungs when you got up this morning. That's him, that's from God, that is a gift of grace, and that God, that same God that did all that, wants to have a daily relationship with me? Where do I sign up? And we say things like, do I really need to go to worship every week? I have to go to my small group this time? Should I spend 10 minutes on my devotion or 15 minutes on my devotion? <laughs> Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference? We're missing something. How long, how long does my quiet time need to be again? Instead, it's just this difference of perspective of are, are we looking at 
Jesus in terms of, is he worth everything? Is he worth rearranging your schedule for and all of your priorities for? Or is he just a little tack on the side? Jesus says, I'm inviting you today. I'm inviting you today to be my follower, to stop playing the game and be my follower. Jesus says to the crowd here in John chapter 6 and to us this morning, I'm not going to convince you that it's worth it. I don't need to convince you of that because I know that I'm worth it. So follow me. So follow me. I want you to follow me and not just be my fans. In fact, as we go throughout the rest of the story, we can see this clear difference that emerges, and I want to kind of just draw a little comparison for you between what it would look like to be a fan of Jesus and what it would look like to be a follower of Jesus. Back to the story. Look at, back at verse 14. Look at back at verse 14. In fact, let's read this together up on the screen. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, let's read it together, surely he is the prophet that we have been expecting. So when we compare the crowd before Jesus did all these things and after Jesus did all these miraculous signs, we can say that some people are clearly there to be fans and some people are clearly there to be followers. They're all in and there's a big difference. And what we discover is the difference, the first difference, is that for fans, they're simply there to admire Jesus, whereas we see that later on his followers surrender everything to be with him. And you think about it, what isn't to admire about Jesus? <laughs> if, if you look at it, I mean, if even people that don't believe in Jesus, it's easy, easy to admire the things that he did. He loved the unlovable. He forgave his enemies. He cared about the poor. Even if you don't believe in him, you can say, what a great guy, Right? Even other religions say that Jesus was a great guy. He was a great prophet. He was a great teacher. Well, there's a lot to admire about Jesus. And so it's easy to, for us to gather on a day like this and, and get all fired up, Jesus, woo, and sing songs about him and pray and maybe even take a class or do a small group or a Bible study. And, and that's easy. You know what's sometimes a little hard or inconvenient? is <laughs> surrendering. is following is loving people that hurt you, is asking forgiveness from your spouse instead of always having to be right, is getting to know your neighbors instead of putting up your garage door every night, is serving those in need even though you have to rearrange your schedule in order to do so. I want you to hear something loud and clear this morning. Jesus says, my grace is free. My love for you is free. There is nothing that you need to do to earn it. That's easy. But dying to ourselves and surrendering and letting Jesus be the Lord of our life, not just the Savior, but the Lord who gets to call the shots, that's a little harder. And that takes intentionality. Are you a fan or are you a follower? Are you here to admire Jesus or are you here to give him everything? fan or follower. Secondly, as we look at these side by side, hop all the way down to verse 61 to our reading for today. Verse 61, if you're following along. After Jesus challenges them to stop asking for miracles and just believe, we read in verse 61, aware that his disciples were doing what? Grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, 
does this offend you? Most people in that situation, if, if, <laughs> if you're going back and forth, if I'm Jesus, I'm going to get really, really defensive. And my reaction would be, why are you so offended? But watch what Jesus does. He asks a question. Does this offend you? When you read something or somebody says something to you or maybe you read something in scripture that kind of rubs you the wrong way and offends you a little bit, if you're a fan, you're going to be really easily offended. You're going to be really easily offended. You're going to start to, to grumble and, and, and be offended. Jesus is, ask, is trying to get to their hearts. Does this offend you? What's going on in your heart? Why are you so offended at this? I remember meeting with a mentor several years back when Tiffany, the one, ah, and I were just dating, and I wasn't, didn't really have all my ducks in a row. We grow, right? We, we change, we mature, we have people in our life that challenge us, and so I'd given him permission to challenge me, and my mentor and I were sitting down, and I wanted to grow, and we were talking one day, and it was very clear, um, just going to be vulnerable here for a second, um, it was very clear that in our relationship, I was not, I was being lazy, in pursuing her. Like I wasn't giving her my full attention. Wasn't giving her my best. And out of nowhere, I mean not really out of nowhere because we were in a relationship, but kind of out of nowhere, he says, John, I think you need to grow up. And I went, ah, I'm offended or something like that. I mean, wouldn't you? What if somebody walked up to you and said, you know what? There's some areas of your life you just need to grow up. I mean, maybe not in that tone, but grow up a little bit. But we were in relationship, and so I was offended. I just about got up and walked out of our meeting. And you know what his response was? Not, oh, John, I'm sorry I said that. I didn't mean to challenge you so hard. I didn't mean to hurt your feelings or say something that would possibly offend you. He just looked back at me, no expression on his face, and said, I said, I'm offended. And he said, why? And do you know why he said that? Because he loves me. He's like getting way beneath the surface. What's going on there, John? He said, why? And of course, in my defensiveness, and because I'm such an awesome boyfriend and I had everything figured out when I was 22, I said, because, 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 and then he cut me off again. And he says, because you're insecure about it. And deep down inside, you know that you want to mature and you want to become a man instead of a boy. And that in this relationship, you're asking like a boy because you're in this relationship for what you can get out of it rather than what, how you can serve her and what you can offer to her. So you need to grow up. And he said, maybe the reason you're so offended is because you're so insecure. Fans are easily offended. Are you? And have you ever asked yourself, why? Why do I get so worked up about things? Why is it that when somebody says something that rubs me the wrong way, it just derails me? Why do I get so 
offended. The reality is that if you and I read the Bible and from time to time we are not utterly challenged and convicted, maybe we're skimming the surface. We're not receiving Jesus as he really is. Yes, we want you to be encouraged when you read Scripture, but fans get offended easily, and instead, just thinking about this, followers wrestle with it. And what I mean by that is that when somebody says something that challenges you or that gets under your skin a little bit, instead of, ah! What if we said, oh, maybe there's some truth in that. Even if there's not a chance in the world there's any truth in that, we're disciples of Jesus and we're always asking, God, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to show me? So instead of being offended all the time, we wrestle with it. We ask, is there an element in truth? Is, is, is God trying to show me something? But here's, here's the thing. When you are secure in Christ, that means that you don't have to be right to feel okay. Because Jesus has justified us, because he has made us right once and for all, we don't need to be right all the time. Which means we can live with a lot more joy. People that are easily offended have very little joy. And Jesus says, I have come that your joy might be complete. So there's got to be something missing there. And I wonder if a one measure of Christian maturity might be, how do you respond to criticism and challenge? How do you respond to authority? Whether it's your boss or another leader, your small group leader, when you're in relationship with somebody and, and, and you know that they love you, we can respond to that much differently. And that's why I was able to respond to my mentor that day after I got over it. I said, God, what are you going to show me here? I do need to grow up. It took me five years before I married that woman, but eventually I got it through my head. But sometimes we need people to challenge us. And so, offended or do you wrestle with it in your heart? And finally, look at verse 61 again. Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this. That word, everybody say grumbling. Oh, don't just say it. Everybody do your best grumbling. Just ready, go. Yeah, I like that. That's good. What does grumbling sound like? That, I guess. I don't know, right? Grumbling. Commentary. When Jesus extends the invitation to follow... Fans are notorious for commentary. That's what grumbling is. I don't really have anything else to talk about, so I'm just going to complain. I'm just going to grumble. Commentary, right? Followers instead learn to take action. And there is a huge difference. Followers take action. The people in this story had all sorts of commentary. They had all sorts of ideas about what Jesus should be like and what he should do better. And only a few including Peter, decided to, again, in a sports analogy, get out of the press box, get out of the commentator's booth, walk down the bleachers, and actually get into the game and say, Jesus, we're going to follow you. I'm not going to spend my whole Christian life pointing out what everybody else is doing wrong and how everybody else can fix their life. I'm going to get into the game. You know what's something I've discovered that I just love about you as a church? That you're just so good at? (laughs) That is just amazing. I've discovered that when you're actually getting your hands dirty in mission, when we are doing ministry together and you're getting to know other people and you're serving and you're, you're opening up your life to community and all these things, 
there's far less time for grumbling because you're too busy being a part of the solution. Let me say that again. When you're following Jesus, there's not so much time for grumbling and commentary because you're way too busy being a part of the solution. People that are getting their hands dirty, that are on mission with Jesus, we say around here, you know you're on mission when it gets messy. You're only on mission when it gets messy. They take action. Followers take action. Reminds me of a powerful story. Maybe some of you have heard it before, but one of the greatest tightrope walkers in history, his name was Charles Blondin. He was not blonde. He was a French dude, and he came over in the, uh, in, the, in the 1800s, and he was very famous because he would string these long tightropes across valleys and, and all sorts of places. And he, so he strung uh, across Niagara Falls a tightrope that was, let me get this right, 1,100 feet long and a three-inch diameter. So think about that for a second a three-inch diameter, and this was 160 feet above the water. Okay, so you can imagine that. So it's literally do or die. It's literally do or die. But he did it, and the crowds went wild, and he was a celebrity, and there was a huge fan base, and then he did it again, and he'd he'd add some dramatic flair. He'd carry something on his head or something like that, and the crowds got bigger and bigger and bigger. I'm not making this up. He did this. He went across in a sack. He went across blindfolded. He went across on stilts. He was amazing. And then one day, he brought out a wheelbarrow with him. And thousands of people had gathered around the cliffs there in Niagara Falls. And he wheels out this this wheelbarrow. And there's tons of people standing around admiring, offering a lot of commentary, I'm sure. And so he asked the crowd, do you think... Do you even believe that I can push this wheelbarrow across the tightrope? And of course, everybody was, oh, yeah, go, and the crowds went wild. Oh, of course, we totally believe you can, Blondin. Go for it. Oh, absolutely, we believe 110% that you could do it. And then he turned back to the crowds and said, who wants to get in? (laughs) And many of his followers deserted him. And many of his followers walked away. It's one thing to say you believe. It's one thing to offer commentary. It's one thing to admire. (laughs) It's a much different thing to take action, to take a step of faith. What does that look like for us? Sometimes we think that taking action and being a follower of Jesus has to be some flashy, you know, earth-shattering thing. But really, it's the daily decision to follow Jesus and just be available to him to be surrendered to him, to be open to him. And that's the story of Johnny, which is a middle-aged gentleman that I want to show you just a bit of his story this morning. And as you watch this, I want you to ask yourself, in what ways has he moved from being a fan to a follower? Let's take a look. Looking back in the past 35 years of my life, I realized that I was focused on success at work and that left me very little quality time for serving God. The result was that, guess what? I made more money, but I didn't do ministry 
the way I knew I should be doing it, thinking that, oh, well, I'm young, I have more time. So 30s turns to 40s, 40s turns to 50s, and now I'm in my late 50s. Finally, I'm trying to flip it in the right direction, spending quality time doing God's work. The process of identifying which ministry my wife and I should select was very important to us. And we put a lot of thought into it. So when we discovered that over 600 refugees come to our city every year, we felt compelled to participate. The way I'm wired, it's important to me to not be involved in huge events that are Billy Grahamish. I'm not made for the spotlight. I'm prone to pride, and that's what I have to fight. So put me in a spot that doesn't foster that, and that's where the Lord is putting us. When I read scripture, I see that it is incumbent upon all Christians to love God and to love others. Jumbo. Jumbo. Someone who shows up and didn't think he would ever get there, and he came here by the skin of his teeth, and he knows not what the future holds. That to me is a ripe situation to love others, and I want to be part of it. You want to see it? You want to go see? Love is not all that complicated. It's actually quite simple. It sort of looks like making yourself very helpful to the people in your life. When you're my age, you realize the weight of idolatry and realizing that other things have been more important and have taken the place of God. But at the same time, what I'm encouraged about is the direction of my life. I will befriend this family. I will become aware of needs. I will pray for this family. Where that will lead, I'm not sure. Everybody's aiming at something. It's incumbent upon us to know what is that and what should it be. My aim in life is what God wants, what brings Him pleasure, what is His desire. I don't know if you caught it, but did you, did you sense the joy that He has? Following Jesus isn't always easy. In fact, it's largely inconvenient most of the times. But nothing is more joy-filled. Nothing is more satisfying. It's, it's worth going all in for it. In fact, a few weeks ago on Rally Sunday, I asked all of you to write down how you believe that God was calling you to, to follow Jesus, how he was calling you to be the church. And up on the uh, lobby wall, you go ahead and put that picture up. This is what's out there if you haven't taken a look at it yet. is absolutely beautiful. 
because this is what it means to be the church. And I just want to share with you just a few of the things that were written down by you, by the people sitting around you today. I believe that God's calling me to be the church by loving God's kids through Hope Kids. I believe that God is calling me to be the church by inviting my neighbors to worship. I believe that God is calling me to be the church by taking the Alpha class, by being a leader in the core class. I believe that God is calling me to be the church by being an engaged husband and father in the lives of my family. I believe that God is calling me to be the church by mentoring women. I believe that God is calling me to be the church by reconnecting with my life group. I believe that God is calling me to be the church by discipling men. And on and on and on and on. It's just beautiful because you're getting it that this isn't a game. This is, this is worth giving everything to. And I can't convince you of that this morning. But it is my sincere hope and prayer that you don't go one more week going through the motions. He's worth it. He's worth your undivided attention. Not a side, a side, uh, you know, something to your life that, that you just kind of there and you see him once in a while. He's worth everything. He's not an attraction. He's the real deal. He's the very center of your life. God is on the move through you. Today, get in the barrel. Get in the barrel with Jesus. Take that step of faith. For, for Johnny, it was helping some refugees, but for you, maybe it's helping with Breakfast Club. We need some people to go pick the food up in West Des Moines. That's our simple need right now. It's 100 people up here on Sunday mornings, and many of you here are just blessed by that because it's the best meal you get all week. Amen? We just need some people to help with the food. We, we need help on Thursday nights with Wiz Kids, and I was watching that, and a lot of those kids remind me of the kids that we saw here a couple weeks ago. They need love. Particularly, they need men. <laughs> we could take anybody, but we could use some male role models in their life. Maybe it's volunteering here on Sunday morning. Maybe it's coming on Wednesday night for a class. Maybe it's taking the reins again of your family and being the spiritual leader that God has called you to be for your kids. Get in the wheelbarrow today. Follow Jesus. Get out of the press box and stop being a commentator and get in the game and take action. It's time to follow Jesus. It's time to follow Jesus. Amen? Let's not just talk about it. Let's stand and let's sing that together. I have decided to follow Jesus.